0: So essential doctrines, this is the fifth session together. Um, We're just going to look at the two essential doctrines that I think are most subject to change based on the new hermeneutic, the new understanding of how we ought to read scripture. So if, let's say, for example, you're not yet concerned about the dangers of critical theory, critical race theory in the church, or you don't know exactly how it might manifest itself these are the doctrines to pay attention to these are the things that you will see reinterpreted and re re retaught re understood by the church so the first doctrine that i think is the most crucial one um, is probably the doctrine that has been most under assault today and will continue to be the most under assault for probably the duration of our lifetime uh, in this world uh, which is the doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin the the modern church is constantly under threat to defend what sin is and what qualifies as sin. These are This is like, the world is always trying to reinterpret sin and get the church to say, oh, that's not actually that sinful. And it has succeeded in many cases with getting churches to say divorces isn't all that sinful or uh, same-sex marriage is not all that sinful or practicing same-sex uh, uh, relationships unrepentantly is not all that sinful. And it's, And it's gaining ground slowly but surely in many different lanes. So the doctrine of sin is subject to reinterpretation as well as the doctrine of man. Now, if we have a biblically sound understanding of the doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin, you're going to look at a couple of verses that might be brought to mind here. The first, uh, I'm, I'm not going to insist that you turn there, but I'm going to paraphrase them and I'm trusting that if you doubt what I say, just go to the verses, look at them yourself and examine them for yourself. Genesis 3 is the first text of scripture that tells us about what man is like. Man in our world exists after the fall. Adam has sinned and in Adam, all who have sinned have died in Adam's sin. All people, regardless of what uh, you choose to express yourself as in terms of your sexual orientation, gender, race, class, whatever else your identifying markers might be according to Karl Marx, you are a sinner and you are in need of a savior. That is the doctrine of man according to scripture. Genesis three, Romans three, Old Testament, New Testament. Paul and Moses all argue for that. People apart from God are all sinners in need of salvation. Everyone's a sinner, no amount of uh, privilege or uh, experiences that you had in the world disqualifies the sin that you've committed. All are sinners under God's authority. Some have committed more heinous sins than others, but where you have sinned in one violation of the law, you are guilty of all of the law. All people are sinners. Now for classical Christianity, that doctrine of man and that doctrine of sin is not a problem because we also have the doctrine of Jesus Christ and salvation. So whether, whether that all that I just said sounds really harsh, that all has to be understood in the fact that Jesus Christ comes as the antidote to that problem in our classical understanding of these things. Um, so for, for a text on this, uh, you can go to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, you can see that in Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. In Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. Everyone who identifies in Adam is dead in Adam. Everyone who chooses to identify in Christ is alive in Christ and is a new creation. The doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin, according to scripture, is that all people are sinners and all people can receive salvation. The doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin under uh, critical theory and those power structures says that whether or not you sin depends on modifying factors, multipliers, if you will. The more oppressed you are, the less likely you were responsible for that sin that you committed. How we saw this play out last year is stealing was totally okay if you were considered part of the oppressed group. You can steal, you can loot, you can riot, you can do whatever you want because you're part of the oppressed groups. So all of these sins are permissible. In fact, we, we hesitate to even call them sinful. They're just a protest. If you're white and you did the exact same thing, you would be put in prison, rightly so, because those are violations of the law. So the doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin gets reinterpreted through the lens of power structures. The more oppressed you are, the less guilty of your own sin you are, and the less in need of a savior you are. You actually don't really need a savior if you're, if you're under these power structures. What you don't, you don't need a savior, what you need is a liberator. You need someone who's gonna come in and shake the bondage of oppression from you, And then you don't get the Jesus of historical Orthodox Christianity. You get the Jesus of liberation theology, which doesn't say that you're a sinner and you need a savior. It says that you are oppressed by society and I will come here to break you free of society. Doctrine of man, doctrine of sin. The next doctrine that gets assaulted and it's related to these two and it's very hard to see. uh, It's easy to see where they differ, but it's easy also to see the overlap as well. The person and work of Jesus jesus according to our historical orthodox understanding of who he is and what he comes to do jesus comes as god to humanity to uh condescend himself into our condition not to identify with us in our sinfulness and just to wallow with us in our pity but he comes so that he can rightly be considered our substitute and that he can substitute himself in our place of rightful death and that he does so and he offers that salvation to anyone who would believe in his name Jesus comes down to earth, not to primarily identify with sinful people, but primarily to save those people from their sin. He comes on earth with a mission and his work is to save people from their sin. Every single person. That's his, his mission, what he comes to earth to do. And there's no person who gets disqualified from that. And there's no person who's not in need of that. Every single person is in need of that salvation. So the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus are clearly defined in those lanes. He comes to save people from their own sinfulness and everyone is guilty of their sin. How the person and work of Jesus get reinterpreted or re-understood in these lanes um, would be, for example, um, saying something like when Jesus comes down as God to humanity, what he primarily came to do is not to save people from their sin, but to identify with oppressed people. So he came not as a Roman, he came as a Jew. He came not as a Jew, but as a Jew born in a manger, born to a relatively poor family. This was not him following up with what God has promised that the Savior is going to come through the Jewish lineage. This was Jesus coming because he had to identify with oppressed people. So he came to the oppressed class in Rome, the Jewish people. Now what that ignores is that there's more oppressed classes in Rome, such as women, such as slaves, such as um, Samaritans, who are oppressed by the Jewish people. So Jesus doesn't actually come as the most oppressed, but he comes close enough. And so he identifies with all oppressed people. And his work on the cross and his work in redeeming us is not redeeming us from our sin, but he's trying to show us how we break the shackles of oppression. And he's showing society that the oppression always leads to injustice, because he was killed after all by an unjust Roman uh, trial. And what he did when he died on the cross is he showed us exactly where these oppression and power structures lead. And he is calling us, in essence, in his death to liberate us from these kinds of structures. So he identifies with oppressed people. He dies as an oppressed person. And he shows us in that, that this is a wrong system and we should fix it. That's the person and work of Jesus under this new power structure. Now, lest you think that I just made all that up. Once again, I want to assure you, I I read, I, I studied this stuff. It's not like I'm coming up with uh, delusions in my own head. There are prominent uh, Christian teachers who, who at some point in their past have taught orthodox theology and who have posted things and written books to the effect of, well, we have to remember that when Jesus died on the cross, he, w- he was a brown body dying on the cross as an oppressed person. That's primarily Jesus's work. Or what the cross was all about is Jesus emptying himself of his power. That's what the cross was all about. Because power is bad, Jesus had to shed it on the cross. But the cross, in historical Christian understanding, is the very means by which power is acquired. Jesus doesn't just go to the cross to die in in oppression. He goes to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endures the cross. So that he could be glorified and so that all things could be put as a footstool under his feet. Now if that's true, then power cannot be bad. Because Jesus is saying that's actually the ultimate goal of why he came to earth. Was to achieve power, to have all creation actually worship him. And so, it's a very bad understanding of the cross. It's a whole reinterpretation of scripture. It's a kind of reinterpretation that says that when you, when you take verses out of context, you should plainly recognize they're out of context. Just like Arrhenius said, we can recognize false teaching because we see that it goes against the whole narrative of what scripture teaches. We know this. We know this is true because if you, if you study your Bible, you see that the flow of redemptive history from beginning to end in scripture is all about the cross and not about the cross liberating oppressed people, but about the cross redeeming sinners back unto a God who rightfully has a case against all of them. Now, that does not ignore the reality that sinful man does wrong things to other people. That does not ignore that reality. But what it says is our primary problem is not our beef with other people who might oppress us in our society. Our primary problem is that we have sinned against the Holy God, every single one of us, and we need a Savior. And it doesn't matter how oppressed you are, you cannot get off the hook from that. Because God says all people are guilty of sin. In fact, all of the biblical writers have this case against people. And it's a just case. It's a good case. So those are the essential doctrines that get twisted uh, in this new kind of hermeneutic.